Welcome to Overdue Classics, the podcast for all the books you're meaning to read. I'm Brandon LeBlanc, and I'm joined again by Andrea Lipinski and Matt Bianco. And we are here for book four of Boethius' Constellation of Philosophy. Matt, Andrea, how are y'all doing today? Great. Great. I'm surprised we're at book four. I know. Yeah. We're cruising for this. Oh, we're fast. Yeah. It seems dense, but it's in these relatively, relatively small books. So yeah. To kick us off, Andrea, ready to give us a little narration of book four? I will do my best. I found this whole book interesting. Mm-hmm. So, in the beginning, Boethius claims he forgot because of pain from evil existing and that pain and that evil goes unpunished. And I was like, what is he forgetting? Is he forgetting memory? Is he forgetting truth? Lady Philosophy tells him that he can learn from the creator himself because it's his realm that Boethius is speaking about. And she will be his path to bring him home. And the path will go from earth to moon to stars to the ether right she does that part in song and then uh, she talks about the supreme good is the goal of both good men and bad men men are good by their virtues and men are bad by their desires Hmm. wow and they're when men seek the good by their virtues it's achievable but when they seek it by their desires, it's not achievable because they're too busy with the pleasures. And then next section um, goes into the whatever the goal of the action is, is its own reward, I think. And that um, good men want happiness by being good. And in so doing, they become gods. Uh, yeah, it is to become gods. And then that she says evil is an infection that wounds men's minds and sinks them to being like animals or being animals. I'm not sure if it's like or being. And then is this the time when I, I wrote Plato down in the corner? Yeah. In this next section, um, she says that the... Weakness is a disease of the body, and wickedness is a disease of the mind. So we should love the good and have pity for the bad. Um, but I think she asks the question that made me think of Plato. She says, those who commit an injustice are more unhappy than those who suffer it. She doesn't ask it, she states it. And then... Um, I think after that is that short section. This is where I'm like, I'm looking at my book to try to remember when they come. But there's no, she says there's no doubt that um, that there's a good power that rules the world and everything happens aright. So, yeah, she, in the poetry part, she talks about the laws are observed in heaven. So then she gets to the next part. And this part was longer. Boethius at the beginning begs her to tell him the causes of things. But she tells him that if she removes a doubt, more will just continue to rear their heads like Hydra. Hydra's heads. thought that was a great um, visual. Um, She defines providence in here as divine reason itself and fate 
um, I'm going to sit with this one. Fate is like a planned order that's inherent in things that follows providence. And then at the, the song, she te- in the song, she tells you to look to the seasons to support this. Hmm. Yeah. And that um, the, the evil mind is bound to the earth. It's not able to look up. And then I, I think there's just one more section. Um, oh, but I did like that. And that one in the, at the end of the song, I see that as that's the medicine itself. When she transitions to that song in the second to last section, that's the medicine. And that's when she tells them to look to the seasons. Um, and then the last one is when she says, all fortune is good. And, and it's your mind that makes it so. Right. It's, it, we have the we get to shape it. And she warns him to stay in the middle path. Right. To not be bothered when fortune feels bad and not be bothered when fort- or not be excited when fortune feels good, but to stay in the middle. Hmm. Oh, and she uses um, <laughs> examples of people whose uh, uh, you could look at their at, at fortune. And see how it went. Um, Agamemnon, Odysseus, Hercules, to name a few. Okay, so we ended last week talking about uh, whether la- whether Section Three was really strong medicine, or if it was if it was if she was setting him up for for more. So I want to start there. It, did did we feel like? Do, do either of you feel like she brought something stronger, bitter, more bitter for him this time around in comparison? I do. I think she, I think this was the harder medicine. I think the evidence for it is that I also found it difficult to swallow. <laughs> and, um, and that, he, this is like he's art, more argumentative this time around. Mm-hmm. He's like, but, but good things do happen to bad people, and bad things do happen to good people. And he keeps allowing the bad people to do th- bad things to good people. And then she responds to that. And then he says, fine, fine, fine. You know, philosophically speaking, I'm totally rewording his, yeah. his response, <laughs> but philosophically speaking, fine. I can see how that's the case. But when we speak about fortune commonly, we say good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. So, yeah. you know, and then she said, has to respond to that. And like, he just keeps pushing back, pushing back, pushing mm-hmm, back. Mm-hmm. He does not like this. Well, it's, it's not that he doesn't like the argument, but this is part of the Hydra heading, right? Like yeah. he, he keeps wanting to respond to every objection or want, yeah. he keeps wanting to raise objections that he's going to respond to because he's not actually taking the medicine fully. He doesn't fully understand it. It doesn't, it's it's the it's a bitter medicine rather than a sweet medicine, so it's harder for him to swallow it. I mean, but she says at the uh, in the last section, take care that in following popular opinions, we haven't produced something really inconceivable. Mm. So, with what you're saying, because that's where yeah, this is, she tells him at the beginning, this is what's going to happen, and then it happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think at the very beginning of of this book, it's 
he he like finally reveals what his real what his real complaint is right and that and then that's that it's why probably, probably why he's more argumentative in this section because he finally says yeah yeah it's the whole but good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people that's where well, he's but, that's what he's really mad about right or feels like is an injustice well then it has to land in his lap this has to all land in his lap because he he starts off at the beginning saying well i had forgotten because of the pain of what i had suffered mm-hmm and so that's why I forgot this, this pain did it to me. Right. It's the, mm-hmm. I'm blaming the pain. I'm pointing the finger, but she's telling him. Mm-mm. Yeah. What you do with it. But it's, what it's basically that purpose. Yeah. It's that third paragraph, but the greatest cause of my sadness is really this. The fact that in spite of good, a good helmsman to guide the world, evil can, can still exist and even pass unpunished. So it's, he's, Mm-hmm. It's the presence of evil that's most that's most weighing him down. The existence of it, which then she goes through trying to prove to him that evil doesn't actually exist, which I thought was interesting. But yeah. or go unpunished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting too because they 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 go into the realm of well, it's it's punished in eternity. But then she but then she doesn't even really want the argument to rest on that. Which is really, I think, kind of a big deal because I think that's our instinct as a coping mechanism as Christians right. is to say, fine, 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 all these evil things are happening, but that guy's going to get his just desserts in his in the afterlife, you know. Um, and then we find solace. We try to find solace in the fact that that good things are happening to bad people right now, but it's just it's just piling up the bad that they're going to experience afterward. And she's saying that's not even true, right? That that there those people are are those people will be punished in this life, um, and I you know to your point, Andrea too. I think the the his bad, seemingly bad things that we would call in the vulgar tongue, common language, bad bad fortune. <laughs> Bad fortune befalls good people in our common way of speaking, right? And he's a good person that bad fortune has befallen. But his, but it's actually it's actually a cure for him. Because while he is a good person, he has begun, he's he's this 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 bad fortune is revealing that he has forgotten the order of the, of the creator and the, the good, you know, that, that these, these things that are good and bad are, are actually all good. And this is actually good for him because it reveals his waywardness in his thinking and is curing it. Right. So even this this bad fortune is is a medicine for him. And is that the hard part to swallow? Well, I mean, applied precisely to him. Yes. Hmm. I mean, I think the medicine itself is bad Um, that to, to think that you know, what I want to call in the common tongue good is happening to bad people. 
but then have to confess or admit that it's not really good. It just appears that way to me because of my, us because of our bad judgments, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely there was think there's harder medicine in this book. Like there are a couple places I wrote hard pill to swallow, like in the in, in the in the yeah. in the margins. Um, yeah. Like when it, when she talks about um, when she gets him to admit that uh, when someone injures someone else it's mm -hmm. actually worse for the person doing the injury like the injuring person is actually the the one you should have more pity on mm -hmm. basically yeah. uh, it's just like oh that's a really hard one for us to swallow right and it's and then she goes on right after that to talk about that that well, he she says, but the court orders of today take the opposite course, which is true even into our our day, right? Like if yeah. you're a prosecutor, you want to point out how much injury has been done to the person that the criminal offended or hurt in some way, so they are, so the jury wants to punish them, right? But I just and I wrote out in, in the sidelines, imagine because it says they ought to be brought to justice not by a prosecution counsel with an air of outrage, but by a prosecution kind and sympathetic like oh. sick men being brought to the doctor so that their guilt could be cut back by punishment like a malignant growth yeah like, could you imagine a prosecutor making that argument that like you need to put this person away for a long time because it'll in order to heal their soul <laughs> because they're they're the one you should be most worried about right now this person's in trouble i just couldn't wrap my head around that one i mean it's hard to the uh the there are there are people in places that have tried that in the past um like uh desmond tutu i think in is it south africa was tried to create a um a system of i think they called it restorative justice mm -hmm. where they bring the victims and the and the criminals to a counseling table with you know, professionals there, whatever, but to help them, help them to hear each other's side of the story or whatever and extend forgiveness or some sort of reconciliation. And I think they've done it in Australia or New Zealand. Maybe they've implemented, it's like an optional program, but you can choose to participate in the program. And the, I, I watched a video once where they were, uh, I think a woman who had been raped had been, or a child had been killed or something, something awful, um, you know, voluntarily entered the program and sat down with the, with the perpetrator and, and, and every, at least, at least in the stories and I've read or seen documentaries about, it's almost always more, those, those victims always feel a greater sense of um, closure than the victims who only get, to see the person punished like like sometimes it's, it's just being able to tell their side of the story and and have the the criminal kind of understand them and understand their the pain or the hurt that they caused leads to greater closure and a sense of set justice or satisfaction than than the people who are like I've, you know you hear these stories about 
criminals being put to death, you know, getting in the, especially the United States, right, getting the death penalty. And then after they receive the death penalty, the family saying, we still don't feel any better. So, yeah, I think that program in South Africa has been adapted a lot of times in places that were um, some kind of civil war or one people group was, you know, committing atrocities against another people group within within the same country or, or neighboring countries. Uh, a couple of places now. Um, I can't remember what I was reading. I read about that like a year or so ago. Uh, places that's been used. I don't, I don't know if it's exactly the same thing that Lady Philosophy is describing, but it, there's something to to participating in justice in a way that's intended to heal heal the 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 person who's actually broken. Um, whose soul is actually broken, right? Mm-hmm. And, and seeing the seeing the, um, the victim as the one who's actually not the one deserving of pity, <laughs> just kind of back. I mean, it's that's hard. That's a hard pill to swallow, right? Like, like you actually don't need to be pitied in this situation. The person doing this to you needs to be pitied. Yeah, that's that's. What does the victim need to be able to come to that place to sit across from their uh, perpetrator? Does Lady Philosophy show that? Because in the first section, she says, I will show you the path that will bring you back home. And I wondered if she makes this promise, do you feel like she fulfilled it? I think, I think what she talks about, I mean, someone who's who's seeking the good the good man who's seeking the good and wherever they are as far toward the end she talks about whether they're completely virtuous or on the are, are striving for virtue they that's the person who who can i could see something per, perpetrated against them as uh and have compassion on the perpetrator if that makes sense um the the ability to see that that person is worse off than they are because they, because they're choosing wickedness um, or, and thinking they're, that they're bringing good to themselves. Obviously that's difficult to see if you're the one being, you're the one being mistreated, but, but I think she's arguing that that's what the, that's what the wise man see. will see the virtuous person will see the good person will see. Um, Just sitting here thinking, just sitting here talking about, or I'm reminded of the, um, the priest in uh, Lim is right. Who he steals from in the beginning. Right. So he's yeah. able to see that, right. He's able to see that Jean Valjean's soul is in danger. Um, and that's more important than losing some silverware. Uh, you know, that, that, that his suffering and comparison is not, is nothing really. Right. And, um, and acts accordingly. Um, and so, they both seem to agree toward the end that most people can't see that right most most people aren't pursuing the good in such a way that they can see the truth and so that's why they get upset by evil happening to good people or good happening to bad people quote unquote you know there's a there's an extended passage i think in the section six maybe where um where she's talking about how they have to <clears throat> like like when when something 
when when a bad thing doesn't happen to a bad person and it seems like it should have to us um that what we don't understand is the nature of the soul of that person committing it and so we think we think that there's one kind of punishment that needs to be exacted right away and it will solve the problem and she's saying you know i think she uses animals as her analogy right she's like you know one person's like a bird and one person's like a whatever and um and you know goes through all these different analogies that basically god knows what kind of medicine they need we don't and he also knows when they need it and to what degree bittersweet you know whatever and we don't know all of that stuff and so we're not even assessing whether the thing happening to them is good or bad rightly because we don't know what their what the medicine is that they need so i i think that point that she's making there Mm -hmm. in some sense would require then that the the you know the what we what we would call the victim in order to to be able to sit across from them and and you know genuinely have pity and help help exact the right kind of medicine or or give the right kind of medicine to the perpetrator would mean that person would need to know or or either know himself or know or trust some sort of you know guide to to know what kind of medicine that victim or the perpetrator genuinely needs right for healing to take place because all we have are the law courts that say well if it's this kind of crime then they get this much time and if it's this kind of crime they get this penalty or fine or whatever you know but lady lady philosophy seems to be saying that it's it's bigger than that right there's more more involved with that and she i mean she's applying it to him as like you're you're not assessing good and bad properly because you don't know that mm-hmm I, I don't. I guess what I'm asking is, is what prepares the person? So I, I, I'm be able to ass, not necessarily assess another person, but to assess what's happening rightly for themselves. So they need to better understand the what goodness is and understand the order of things and the causes of things. Like I think, yeah, okay. Doesn't she just say at the end of the section? She says, um, the, the the last prose section of uh, prose seven. Okay. Yeah. That's Wherefore, good. said she, the wise man ought not to take it ill if ever he is involved in one of fortune's conflicts. It's like, I mean, she, she's she's explained what all that means, you know, leading up to that. Mm-hmm. Like in the beginning of seven, when she says, since every fortune, welcome and unwelcome alike, has for its object the reward or trial of the good and the punishing or amending of the bad, every fortune must be good since it is either just or useful. So then if you accept that, which he kind of does, except he's still hydra-ing, then she says, well, therefore, the wise man ought not to take an ill, take it ill if ever he is involved in one of fortune's conflicts. So to some extent, that's just it, right? Just stop pretending you know whether these are whether these things are good or bad and take them all as good because they're either just or useful whatever befalls us so then is that the path home 
I don't know, Andrea, there's one more book. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. Did she do it in this book? I don't know. She laid the groundwork, I think. Uh, do, you think s- do you think she did it in this book? Or do you think she failed miserably? Well, because she ends with story of others, right? She's no like her songs don't always include other uh, stories. But I feel like because she ends with story, she hasn't landed it and she knows it. Hmm. Not even story, because she's going to have to circle back around. The end of that prose section that Matt was talking about reads for me, it is in your own hands what fortune you wish to shape for yourself. Mm-hmm. But the only function of adversity apart from discipline and correction is punishment. To me, this was like this section. I remember the first time I read it, I could like just kind of blew my mind. Section section six or section six, and then that section seven, um, because I'm, I'm sure it's wrestled with other other theological writers, church fathers. Um, but for me, this was the this this juxtaposition of providence and fate. To me, seemed like this. Um, philosophical theological bridge between between the ancient pagans and and Christian thought on on God's providence, and yeah. so that we we experience fate as as change and somewhat, or and maybe even in the and certainly the pagans did as as uh, kind of. Um, chance right the fortune's wheel kind of idea that you just you just never know what's going to happen um but this concentric circle idea where there's the the unmoved movers in the is in the center and the closer you are to that center the less change you're experiencing the less fluctuation you experience uh, but that all the fluctuation is still in service to the unchanging in the middle um it there's part of me that wants to reject the idea that you you know you make your own fortune just to, I mean if you just say it that way, mm-hmm. but in light of what we were just talking about that you know fortune comes to you however it comes to you but you make your own fortune by how you decide to view that and she's saying if you view it all as good if you if you view it either as just reward when it happens or correction when it happens or punishment when it happens um that's deserved then 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 you're in control of your own fortune because you'll then respond to it rightly if it's punishment you deserve then you'll accept that punishment right if it's correction you need you'll try and understand what it is it's being corrected what what thought or action am i that was i holding to is virtuous that's not actually virtuous um and if it's reward then it's then it's then you just enjoy the reward of, of stumbling onto something right, <laughs> rightly, um, uh, or, or actually learning from previous punishment and correction and becoming more virtuous. So in that sense, you make your own fortune by how you respond to what comes. I don't know this, this whole Providence fate part was for me was just the first time I read it. And then again, this time was, um, he seemed seems to be here addressing a lot of concerns beyond just what, ha- what does it mean when good things happen to bad people and all basically 
all the things we try and quantify as predestined or free will and all these kind of things uh, are just are, are primarily from what we can observe from our point of observation, not from the point of providence in the middle. And the closer you get to that providence, the less that stuff seems confusing, I think, or or changing. Necessary. Right. Yeah, in that section. So uh, for me, I don't know what I think I'm in poem six. Yeah. She's the she's defined providence and fate, and she keeps going. And she says, Everything is the freer from fate, the closer it seeks the center of things. And if it cleaves to the steadfast mind of God, and that's where I wondered about him, right? It is free from movement and so escapes the necessity imposed by fate. Mm-hmm. Joke, right? In Circe, that the answer to all questions is Jesus. <laughs> Joke. He just said it. She said it, right? She said it, yeah. I mean, I give him credit because he wrote it and put it in her mouth. How do you know? How do you know he didn't just copy down what she said to him? Okay. You don't believe in lady philosophy? I don't. I I don't know. I'm saying I don't know. But I I guess I haven't haven't, um, received her as... As her yet, have I, by just my statement. So in that idea, like thinking about when he's living and his mindset toward an understanding of God. I mean, I just, I I love the phrasing there. If you're cleaving to the mind of God, you're free from movement and escape the necessity imposed by fate. And I think that speaks to what you just shared, Brandon, this idea of fate and all of those things that was, we've necessitated an explanation that we no longer need. You know, the, in section six, it's the beginning of, it's near the beginning of the prose section, about a page in. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, She's talking about fate, and she said she's talking about what's what's controlling fate. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she—I think she said earlier what you said in your narration, your summary that uh, you know, fate is a thing inherent in in us and mm-hmm. or in things um, by providence. So she says. So whether fate is accomplished by divine divine ministers, divine spirits, as the ministers of providence or by the soul, or a soul, or by the service of all nature, or by the celestial motion of the stars, astrology, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or by the the efficacy of angels, or by the cunning of demons, uh, or by all or by some of these, the, de- the destined series is woven. This at least is manifest, that providence is the fixed and simple form of destined events. Fate, their shifting series in order of time, as by the disposal of divine simplicity, they are to take place. It's interesting that she's not willing to, she's not willing to say which it is. It's like, whatever, whatever. It doesn't matter. You can call it whatever you want. It's this, 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 or this, right? And the, um, the, this idea that there's something, there's some, there's some spiritual aspect to, the movements of the world, right? Whether it's whether it's angels 
you know, moving everything, and then, and then sometimes demons, whatever. This is like what Paul is talking about when he says we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, right? And to some extent, there's a... Um, I wonder. I wonder what role that plays. I don't think she she fleshes this out or makes this connection quite the way I am now. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, to some extent, I think that is the means by which we pity the perpetrator. Like the 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 perpetrator himself is under the influence of these divine these these cunning demons mm-hmm. this is the, the the principalities and powers that we're fighting against right so mm-hmm. you know i may want to hate you know bill gates because he makes my life difficult with all these microsoft products um that's a very specific harm within cersei that <laughs> we're constantly dealing with but anyways you know whatever i may want to hate i may want to hate this you know this person because of the the harm that he's done, um, and and I and it's I don't think it's making an excuse to say, well, he didn't really do it; the demon did it. I don't think that's true either. Like I'm not saying that, and I don't think that's true either, right? Like he's succumbed to the demon; he's willed himself to to do what the demon is filling his head with. Uh, but he has, like, he, I mean, so he's you know he's made that choice, but also. He's been lied to. He's been deceived. He's been made false promises, you know, and 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 he's confused about the good and um, is himself suffering, and then is bringing more suffering upon himself when he does harm to others. So the um, there's a, a brokenness there that that and a corruption there that's you know internal to him and external to him and. And, and 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 really, the thing that we're fighting against is the demon that's deceiving him. Is the demon that's lying? But we think it's the person, right? Well, and at the same time, just like so, um, having been the victim of sexual abuse in college, like I remember somebody coming to me and telling me I needed to pray for my abuser, hmm. and I wasn't ready. I was not ready at all, um, and so. I had to understand and separate that out. Yeah. Hmm. That's why I asked you earlier, like, what makes this, how do you actually live it out? Yeah. And I can't tell you, like, well, this changed in me so that I could separate out what happened to me versus how I can pray for somebody else, how I can see the person as needing prayer Mm. as sick and ill yeah. and has as is more harmed than I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a big deal too, right? I mean, uh, cause this, you know, what happened to you happens to people all, all the, time. the time. And then, and then, you know, you, you add on to that, the, the mass shootings and, you know, all the stuff that's happening in public places and <laughs> private places and abuse and, you know what's where's what's the real enemy right and that's yeah. i think the, the enemy the same enemy that's 
causing somebody to harm another, to be a perpetrator, is the same enemy that tries to tempt the victim into remaining locked to that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, because how easy, like, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine, or, or, or it's hard to think about the person who perpetrated something as being, they're, they're, they've, they're given over to evil and sin for, for from whatever, you know. Typically, that's other wounds that have come to them, right? Right. <laughs> And and the the inability to recognize that then opens up the victim to being given over to hatred and or fear or despair or some other some other demon right um, that then will plague them and and damage mm-hmm. their soul and it's it's so hard for us to see this and or to acknowledge this in the real world but I've had this conversation multiple times when talking to people about um, um, the Aeneid though. Right. Cause I, 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 many friends or people and that talk about the difficulty in, in, um, putting too much blame on some of those characters because of things that the gods or the fates do to them in that text that, that kind of force their, force their hand. But I, I think if you read really closely, most of them have, most of them have opened themselves up to it. They gave, a, they gave an inch. Right. And then, and then they're overtaken by it. Um, I think especially of, um, Oh shoot! The wife of the Latin king. I can't. I'm blanking on her name, but she's she's angry that he doesn't want to marry marry the daughter off to the original suitor, and then that opens her up to one of the. I think it's one of the Furies, but I can't, I'm I'm sure I'm messing Elect, that up. Electa, I think. Electa. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then once it's in, it's like her her heart's darkened for most of the rest of the book, right? And so, um. And it was much safer ground taking that guy's wife than it was Dido. Good job, Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and Dido's is a tough one, right? But and and lots of people pity the character, and probably I had less pity than I should have had taken the other side, right? Because they, I was arguing so hard in the fact they opened themselves up to it, so it's their fault. But the other side of that argument is, yeah, but that it still doesn't mean they're not deserving of pity. And so maybe it's easier for us to see it with fictional characters sometimes, um, which is why we read widely, right? But it's funny because it, it's a good point, actually. It's a really good point because it happens on both sides of the argument, right? People who people who pity Dido see her as being abused by the gods, but then they don't extend that pity to Aeneas, for example, um, or Turnus or whatever, right? And then people who don't pity Dido, don't extend that to her, but then they do extend it to other people like Aeneas or whoever, you know? And the reality is, is that they're all being, being, you know, manipulated by principalities and powers and, or in their language, you know, they're, they're gods that are not constant. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, all these kinds of horrible and awful things are happening to them. And they're also opened up to it. And they're also receptive of those abuses. You know, they're conceding. They're all, hardly ever. Eternus might be the only one, I think, who who actually gets overpowered by elect, by the one that's harming him, right? Because he, he, tells, he tells Electo no, the Fury no. Mm-hmm. He calls her out. He says, I know who you are and I know what you're doing. 
And then she forces herself into him and takes him over. Yeah. And yet we don't have almost nobody pities Turner. That's true. That's true. The only one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm probably not the only one. I don't want to make myself into you know some snowflake special snowflake where I'm the some one of a kind. But um, the uh, it's it's rarer, right? To Turnus. If you believe Rome was a corrupt empire built on blood to begin with, maybe you maybe you favor Turnus. Yeah, if you favor the Greeks and you think, yeah, yeah. yeah. or just or anti uh, any kind of empire and expansion. <laughs> hmm. The church fathers talk a lot about this stuff. This idea that we, um, that everything that happens to us, we need to accept it with gratitude. Mm. And that in, in the expression of gratitude, we turn it into something that is just or useful. uh, Something that can be just or useful to us immediately. Whereas if we don't receive it with gratitude and we reject it, then another harsher medicine has to come along later on to help us to get be to just that. Or useful. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating yeah. you say that because my dad that I'm getting to know, that's his first response. Gratitude. It's gratitude. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I've not I've not met somebody quite like that as quick as it is in him. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I um when we when we pray at work you know together in our meetings and stuff I probably about sixty of the percent percent of the time I I pray and ask God to be to help us be grateful for all things because um, it's something that's stuck stuck with me for so you know for a while now so thank you going back to uh, the national conference I think there was a poetic knowledge panel at the national conference once where. One of the one of the people on the panel um, said that there was there was uh, told the story that a child was wayward and strayed from faith, and that uh, the speaker's hope was that there was that the child would return an adult child the the adult child would return to the faith was that the child that the adult child was was still a person who was very grateful for things. Hmm. And then the speaker quoted the psalm, a psalm, one of the psalms, where in the psalm it says, uh, just badly paraphrased, King James probably says it better, but the psalm basically says that gratitude is is the, you know, the crack in the door that God can enter into the heart of man kind of thing. Um, and, he, and he leaned on that quotation as, you know, speaker did that, um, that that it was the hope the means by which god would woo this adult child back i don't know that i don't know that lady philosophy uses the word gratitude maybe she did i don't know if i picked up on it if she did but um i don't recall that in my trans our translation right i don't either and I think that's what I'm, I'm wondering when I read the book is the how, right? Because I know that I, I, I know that I came to a place where I can pray for the man who harmed me, 
and I see it. Like I, I don't hold it in that same way anymore, where I'm a victim, and I'm not. Um, but I don't know how. <laughs> like I don't, I don't, I don't. Uh, yeah, I give all the credit to Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. You know, Matt, you said you pray that like about 60% of the time we pray together. And for, I don't know, a year and a half or so now, probably uh, do the morning prayers that are in the prayer, my little prayer book. And at the end is kind of like where you, right before the last part, you just kind of pray for things you need to pray about or people you don't pray for. And one of the things I started praying myself was that uh, among other things would be that I would be long suffering and there are days that I later wish I was like, I wish I hadn't prayed that day. <laughs> it's like, I think uh, Andrew jokes a lot about uh, praying for humility and then, you know, you better be ready because <laughs> it means you yeah. might be humiliated. Um, yeah. So praying for long suffering and has been many times in the last year. Or so I'm like, man, that is, that's a, um, that's a bolder thing to pray for than we, than we sometimes realize, I think. Uh, yeah. I think we think it's like when we first start praying, we're we're thinking, help me to, you know, bear what I'm already suffering. But what mm. you're really inviting is possibly a lot more suffering. Mm. <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> Things that we would call hard, bad fortune, right? Yeah. But it's actually good fortune because it it's useful, right? It's just and useful. It yeah. brings about. And good, she says. Yeah, I, you know, I, your, to your question, Andrea, I don't think she says how to do it. Um, she just says that this is the case. It is good. Yeah. And it's up to you to make it happen. So now I wonder, I mean, that's the last thing she says before the poem. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um it mine says it rests with you to make your fortune what you will. Yours says it's in your hands, right, to shape it, yep. um, which is the Latin in Westra enim situ manu qualem vobis fortuna, fortunam formar, formare malitis, according to your will or by your will. The, um, or as you, well, whatever. Anyways, the, uh, the, so she just says that. So that's got to be what book five is about. Okay, well, how do I do this? How do I form it? How do I shape it according to my will, right? Um, yeah, she keeps mentioning, I'll show you the way home, but not yet. But not yet. So maybe maybe that's what's coming. If book five is all about gratitude, it's going to blow my mind, honestly. But <laughs> I'd be curious to see what uh, Lady Philosophy or, or Boethius's conception of Lady Philosophy will will say about that, yeah. I think you're onto something though, Andrea, about the the songs. Because um, it's like it being like the, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if to think of them as the medicine or as like the spoonful of medicine that makes the, or spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down. Because in, in, in um, the 146, the last thing she says before she goes into the song is that, She's worn. You're worn out by the reasoning we've just gone through, which is all the, all the, providence and fate stuff, which would wear anybody out, I think. Um, and she says, "So take a draft to refresh yourself, basically." And that's and that's the song, right? And then again, she 
right after she, at the end of, she doesn't say that, but right after she tells him, your fate's, your fortune's yours to decide. And it's like, oh, it's all on me. And then she goes into song again, right? And so it, I think it will be interesting to see, yeah, what, 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 the, what the road home is. Yeah, it was, I wrote it in the margin at the, it's in the sixth, um, the one, right, which is about providence and fate, the sixth section. When I wrote in the margin, when the, when that song started, the, I wrote, this song is medicine. Like, that's when I, that's mm. when I knew it. The song is the medicine. Um, yeah. You're, it's interesting what comes right before the songs. So if you go to the fifth section, the last line before the song, there's no need for you to doubt that a good power rules the world and that everything happens aright. Hmm. And then she embodies that in song. Yeah. If you go to the fourth one, um, that's when I, I put, I think I put this in my summary because it stood out at me. Um, weakness is a disease of the body. So weakness is a disease of the mind. Wickedness is a disease of mind. They deserve pity rather than blame who suffer an evil more severe than any physical illness. Then she goes into song. And she ends that song. Love the good. Show pity for the bad. Like, I remember being asked, like, how do you forgive, Andrea? Like, when my kids were little um in women's ministries and what have you um and i i i i, I just give what's been given to me right I, I, yeah love the good and pity the bad <laughs> and then if you go to the um what is it the third one the last line before the song that whole last paragraph, um, she begins it with, you cannot think of anyone as human whom you see transformed by wickedness. And the last phrase, she says, he sinks to the level of being an animal. Mm. And then she goes to the song and says that he can't weep. He can only howl. And I was like, wow, I hadn't thought of weeping as a human thing. Right. Mm. I don't wonder, like I've told, Andrew pointed out when I was in the apprenticeship, I tell people when they get to know me, I process life through my eyes. I cry a lot, <laughs> right? And I, it, I, it doesn't bother me. This is, I, I do. And there's times when I don't want to, um, but I process life out my eyes. Yeah. Well, the song she gives there is, a, is the account of, of Odysseus's men in Circe, right? Uh-huh. And she she sees them as being like able to able to recognize their own what they've lost while they're when they're in the animal state um but then she says that the poison is even deeper and stronger which uh the throne man's true self but don't but don't harm the body that the body still looks human but the basically the mind and soul are but cruelly wound the mind right so she starts off there she says her herbs were powerless they changed the body's limbs but could not change the heart Mm -hmm. i love it that she calls lady wisdom calls that powerless Hmm. so look at the physical and see so much has happened right because they're pins but she said that's powerless because they couldn't change the heart and that seems to set up the later argument right that that the things that afflict you from without 
fortune mm-hmm. if they if they if they're not ruining the mind or in some cases they're even Im- helping improve the soul and mind then they're they're somewhat uh, powerless against you your your humanity they're actually raising you toward toward divinity right even if they afflict the body in whatever mm. in whatever way now her imagery here okay her reasoning, the logic, I saw the A plus B equals C. Over and over. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. We we you know, we have a lot we have and continue to have lots of conversations around Cersei and other places about about modes of teaching and modes of learning and and uh you know where's the overlap between the various parts of the trivium and the quadrivium and and her argument is full of logic and rhetoric and poem and like she her medicine um encompasses the whole of him as a person right she she's appealing to his mind appealing to his senses appealing to his emotions um and um she she's probably a good case study in a in a in a in a master teacher to go through and read this another time and just and just read how how lady philosophy teaches um boethius huh. re, reteaches boethius would probably be like a master class in in uh in pedagogy well we are 80 percent of the way through and i know now why josh gibbs wrote um a whole book. Like and, and why this book is the kind of the thread that carries through the whole story and why he he wants to teach it every year to high schoolers and why his title makes sense right like, yeah how do we unlock yeah. it yeah yeah okay i don't know if either of you can answer this at the moment but one other thing we mentioned last week was that the that book three um, appeared chiastic, and so it led us to think about whether there was chiasm that we maybe we we're going to pick up on in, in the back half. Anything from four connect with two for you at this point, or is that something we need to look at during our during our Q and A a little bit? The overall chiastic structure of the book, if it's there, if it's there or not. I did not reflect on that question before now, Brandon. Okay. Fair. I didn't think of it again until like five minutes ago. So (laughs) I can't even remember what book two is about. All right. I'm flipping. Then let's, uh, the vanity of fortune's gifts. Yeah. And then book four is the all everything fortune does is good. Okay. Very interesting. (laughs) So there's something there. Um, why don't we, why don't we, just plan on talking about this when we get to the Q and a, um, and we'll save it for that. And we can take a look at, you know, one versus five, two versus four. And, and then we're three kind of splits. I think we should just wait until Andrea writes her master's thesis on it. I was just trying to give her an outline. During our Q&A. <laughs> Y'all are funny. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's good for the soul. Oh man, this is this reading this with you guys is good for my soul. So I've been I've enjoyed it immensely, even more than I did when I read it last year for the first time. So, 
All right. Well, we have one book left. Hopefully, it's the road home. Um, either of you had any any closing thoughts or questions from book four before we before we head out the door? Well, I mean, just the prayer that we all will be better at uh, or practiced at shaping our mm. shaping our fortune. Learning to um, receive it all as the good that God intends it. Wow, man, well, there you go, right? Was it Romans 8? All things work together for good to those that love God. Yeah. This is it. This is a whole, this whole book is basically just and, proving that. And book four, her very last line, she says, once earth has been surpassed, it gives the stars. Hmm. Yeah. Where do, you know, my, where does our help come from? It's not heaven. I mean, it's not earth. Mm. Need to look up. Yeah. It hasn't been lost on me this week either that we've been reading this uh, through the season of Lent, both on the Mm -hmm. Western and Eastern calendar uh, this year. So I'm sure that'll be in the back of my mind again next week as we move toward those in these last few weeks of it, of Lent. So, um, Anyway, yeah. I don't know uh, when this will air, um, but the, I think it's called a Akathist um, mm-hmm. service. I highly recommend anybody go. Tonight. Yeah. Tonight's the whole thing. Um, all the weeks before this, we've just been doing a quarter of it at a time. Tonight we do all of it all at once. Yeah. It's longer service, of course, but it's good. Yeah, and there are various services and prayer services during this time, in depending on which tradition you're you're in for Lent. But um, it's certainly a time of reflection on these things and how we deal with suffering. So the problem the problem with an akathist is its name. <laughs> it literally means standing, not sitting. <laughs> so you're supposed you. to stand the entirety of the service. So. That's bad fortune for me. <laughs> you get to shape it. But now I have to decide on how it's for my good. All right. Well, thank you both and for being here. And held accountable for what we know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I look forward to talking about book five next with you guys. Uh, the audience, thank you all for being here again and, and uh, pulling down the book and getting into it with us. Join us next week. We'll address book five. Um, you can start sending questions or comments to podcast at searchinstitute.org. And you can visit our new space on Circle, which I'll put a link to in the show notes. Be sure to check out other shows on the Searching Podcast Network as well. 